What is being done to avoid the U.S. defaulting on its national debt? What was the result of the negotiations that occurred between President Biden and congressional leaders earlier in the week? Information on these stories and much, much more coming up on today's episode of BBP News. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode. This is Friday, May 12th, of course, 2023. We're back with another news episode, and this one, you guys, there's a lot to talk about. This is going to be a busy show, so let's jump right into it by looking into the weather headed into this weekend. And we start, of course, in Los Angeles, California, where it'll be mostly clear today with a high of 76 degrees and a relatively clear weekend ahead. In Houston, Texas, expect a thunderstorm or two during the day with a high of 89 degrees and more rain moving in throughout the weekend in chicago pretty similar conditions thunderstorms today with a high of 71 degrees and some more storms and rain moving through over the weekend and in new york city it'll be partly cloudy today with a high of 85 degrees and a mostly clear weekend ahead maybe some clouds rolling through there towards sunday So like I said, you guys, this is a very busy show. We have a lot to talk about. As you can tell from the title of this one, the debt ceiling is a very prominent part of this show. There's a lot to get into here with that. So let's jump right in. And the first question to be asked here is, did the Democrats in the House just pull off maybe a little bit of trickery so that they can bypass House Republicans and deal with the debt ceiling crisis on their own, thus avoiding a default? So... It's very possible that within the past week, you have heard the term discharge petition. However, we need to explain exactly what this means. And spoiler alert, it's not exactly the slam dunk that lots of people are seemingly making it out to be. First, let's set the stage on this. So we've been telling you for months now that the United States is barreling towards defaulting on our federal debt for the first time in our nation's history, which, of course, would be catastrophic for you, me, and everyone else across the country. A default can come as soon as June 1st, according to the Treasury Secretary and House Republicans narrowly passed a bill two weeks ago to raise the debt ceiling. However, only if there are significant budget cuts. There were many budget cuts attached to that Limit Grow Save Act that was passed. And Senate Democrats and the White House have both said that this bill is dead on arrival. They will not pass it. They say that the debt ceiling cannot be held hostage and it needs to be raised with no conditions as it has been in the past. Raising the debt ceiling does not authorize any new spending. It only allows for the bills to be paid that Congress has already racked up. It's important to note this. And the thing is here, both sides are so stuck in their positions that it has turned into an absolute standoff. Republicans aren't backing down, and neither are Democrats. Meanwhile, June 1st is getting closer and closer, so the president and the speaker have agreed to meet face-to-face to talk about the debt ceiling more on that in just a moment. But now let's talk about this discharge petition. Last week, Democrats said that they have quietly, under the radar, started this process back in January through a bill called the Breaking the Gridlock Act. 
This basically is a shell build that can be transformed into whatever it needs to be. In this case, it would be a build to just raise the debt ceiling. A discharge petition would allow a bill like the Breaking the Gridlocked Act to be discharged from the committee and considered on the House floor for a vote without the approval of the House Speaker, which they would normally need to have. In order for this theoretical Democrat debt ceiling bill to succeed, they would need a majority of the House to sign on with signatures for this to happen, and this would allow it to be discharged from the committee so it could then be considered on the House floor. And then, of course, they would need the votes. Again, they would need a majority. And in order to get that majority of signatures, they would need all House Democrats to say yes to this, plus a few Republicans would have to defect and vote with the Democratic Party. And they can begin that signature gathering process on May 16th. And if they're successful, this bill could come to the House floor for a vote sometime in June. And then if that is successful, it would, of course, still have to pass in the Senate and then go to the White House for signing. You see, this is no easy feat. And here are the facts on the matter. There are a lot of ifs in this scenario. Discharge petitions are rarely used because they almost never work. They are extremely cumbersome, as you can see through the process we just explained, and they take too much time. And even if the discharge is successful, the actual vote may come after the default. So why are Democrats doing it in the first place? Well, it is sort of a last-ditch effort from them. They say that they want a backstop if this meeting between the president and the speaker fails. And if both parties are still in a standoff at that point, the theory is some House Republicans may cave and just agree to a clean debt ceiling increase so the U.S. doesn't default. And so you might be wondering, how is this whole debt ceiling slash debt default going to end? Well, of course, we don't really have any clue how it's going to end, as we've said before, but what we can tell you about is one of the most interesting solutions being floated around right now, and that solution could rest inside the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. The theory is that President Biden can declare the whole idea of a debt ceiling unconstitutional, basically ignore it. Therefore, the Treasury Department could just borrow what it needs to pay the bills that have already been spent without an explicit law passed by the House and Senate. But the question is, where in the world would President Biden get the authorization to do this? And the key could lie in one phrase of the 14th Amendment. In Section 4, the 14th Amendment says, quote, The validity of the public debt of the United States authorized by law, including debts incurred for payment of pensions and bounties for services in suppressing insurrections and rebellion, shall not be questioned. End quote. So technically, yes, the words specifically say the validity of the United States public debt shall not be questioned, not maybe, but shall not be questioned, meaning the U.S. debt incurred by law, which is how we accumulate debt when Congress passes a bill that is not paid and must be paid, it shall not be questioned. And some legal scholars argue that the public debt clause of the 14th Amendment overrides the law establishing the debt ceiling. It's also worth noting that Congress also 
passed a law in 1917 saying that the Treasury Secretary shall pay the interest due or accrued on public debt, and that is 31 U.S. Code 3123. But you have to understand the context of the 14th Amendment to understand why this was added to the Constitution in the first place. See, this amendment was ratified in July of 1868, and it includes most significantly the right to citizenship for all persons born or naturalized in the United States, and this included slaves. This amendment was, of course, ratified after the Civil War, and the reason why the debt part was included was to prohibit the U.S. from repaying the war debt of Confederate states or compensating former slave owners for emancipating their enslaved people. Notably, there is also a clause in the 14th Amendment that bans any person who engaged in insurrection against the United States from holding any civil, military, or public office. I want you to understand that we're not saying that the president is for sure going to whip out the 14th Amendment and simply ignore the debt ceiling. The politics of this would be brutal at the very least. No other presidential administration has tried this, even though it has been considered in the past. Now, it has come up again as a long-shot effort, especially if this debt ceiling standoff between Democrats and Republicans continues. But, of course, even the Treasury Secretary has advised against trying to do this. And keep in mind that if the president were to go down this road, he would be sued, and the lawsuits would probably prevent it from being used before the United States defaults in the first place. The Treasury Secretary, as we have said before, said that default could come as soon as June 1st, so we will continue to look at how this process plays out as we move closer. And guys, it is not looking good when it comes to the negotiations and the debt ceiling situation. This week, the president hosted the four big leaders at the White House, Speaker Kevin McCarthy, House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, and Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell to talk about a possible solution to this crisis. But over the weekend, Senate Republicans sent a letter to the Senate Majority Leader saying that they support the House bill to raise the debt ceiling in exchange for significant budget cuts and will not vote for any Democrat debt ceiling bill that doesn't include those significant budget cuts. This letter was signed by 43 Republican senators, including Mitch McConnell, which is significant because up until now, he has remained rather quiet on the matter, and we are also going to explain why 43 matters in just a moment. And here's the thing. Senate Democrats say that the House bill that was only passed with Republican votes is dead on arrival in the Senate, as we said earlier. They will not pass it. They say they will negotiate budget cuts with Republicans during the budget process, but the debt ceiling should be raised without conditions, as it has been in the past. And at this point, neither side is backing down, as you've seen in our previous sections. So, let me explain some quick Senate math. As you know, in the United States Senate, in order for any bill to get to the floor for a vote, it has to have 60 votes to get past the filibuster. That means that all 51 Democrats and independents plus nine Republicans have to say yes. 
Well, there are 49 Republicans in the Senate, and if 43 signed onto this letter, that leaves only six left. And yes, of course, six is not nine, therefore it would fail. And plus, it is worth noting that newly independent Senator Kirsten Sinema does not sound very supportive of the Democrat plan either. And the same goes the other way with this. The Republicans would need to get 60 votes to push the House plan, and there is no way that they are getting 11 Democrats to join them on that bill. And the Treasury Secretary says the default can come as soon as June 1st, as we've reiterated plenty of times before. And the House is only in session 13 more days in the month of May. And the Senate is in session 10 more days in May. And President Biden is going to Japan for the crucial G7 meeting. So that leaves only six or seven work days where the House, Senate and President are all in town to get something done. Well, these leaders that we were talking about before did meet this week, and still there has not been a deal agreed upon to raise the debt ceiling. I've said all along, let's discuss what we need to cut, what we need to protect, what new revenue we can raise, and how to lower the deficit to put our fiscal house in order. But in the meantime, in the meantime, we need to take the threat of default off the table. The President, House Speaker, House Minority Leader, Senate Majority Leader, and Senate Minority Leader all met on Tuesday to try and hash out a deal to avoid a default for the first time in U.S. history. We already know that Democrats, both in the House and Senate, took the idea of default off the table, but on Tuesday, so did Senate Republicans. The United States is not going to default. It never has, and it never will. That only leaves one lawmaker who has not taken default off the table, and that is Speaker McCarthy. And Speaker McCarthy says that he did his part and there is nothing more that he can do. The question is, it will not default? I've done everything in my power to make sure it will not default. We have passed a bill that raised the debt limit. Now, I haven't seen that in the Senate. So I don't know. But everyone, including the Speaker, knows that bill will not pass the Senate. It's really troubling about the Speaker's position is it's a it's a partisan bill and he says take it or leave it or we could default by not taking default off the table speaker mccarthy is greatly endangering america and making it much harder to make progress on budget negotiations and the thing about this whole battle is which we have reiterated before but it's worth noting again this entire battle over the debt ceiling isn't even actually over the debt ceiling it's all being used as leverage for what the fight is really about and that fight is budget cuts and speaker mccarthy and house republicans have passed that bill that yes raises the debt ceiling but they also call for many budget cuts the senate democrats and the president have all said all right let's talk about budget cuts but the debt ceiling cannot be a part of that. It cannot be held hostage in the process. The good news is all four congressional leaders agreed to begin work as soon as Tuesday night on the budget process and assess on how to cut spending. There is a possibility that an agreement could be made over those budget cuts through the budget process that would then leave lawmakers an off-ramp to come to an agreement on the debt ceiling. 
The staff of these congressional leaders will continue to work throughout the week, and the four leaders are planning to meet again with the president, originally scheduled for today, but that meeting was moved to next week. But if worse comes to worse and there is still no deal, the president confirmed that he is looking into using the 14th Amendment and declaring the debt ceiling unconstitutional. But now moving away from the debt ceiling, but still sticking with the topic of economy, the Federal Reserve raised interest rates by another 0.25%, as I talked about in Monday's show. But will we see more rate hikes in the future? And what about that dreaded R word, that being recession? Let's start with the potential for more interest rate hikes. What the Federal Reserve Chairman is saying is that we may have reached the peak of interest rate increases. The Fed Chairman said that raising interest rates so many times and so dramatically over the last year has knocked down inflation from the peak of 9.1% seen in June of 2022 down to 5% in March of 2023. This, of course, is still a long shot from the 2% that they want to see, so we still have a ways to go, but it is getting better. Chairman Powell says that they are going to take a more wait-and-see approach when it comes to raising interest rates the next time they meet. But don't get it twisted. There are no rate cuts coming anytime soon. And that brings us to the recession question. Historically, when the Federal Reserve raises interest rates so dramatically like they have been doing, employers pull back on spending and hiring, which then results in many people losing their jobs. But even with all of these recent rate increases, unemployment has remained at a historic low, as we talked about again in Monday's show, sitting at about 3.4% in the month of April. And that's why the Fed chairman says that he believes it is possible the U.S. economy can withstand these rate increases and avoid an economic downturn. But the chairman also said that he is willing to see a mild recession if that's what it takes to finally get this inflation down to 2% and keep it down at that level. The Fed will meet again in June to see what their next move will be. Are the Supreme Court justices unethical? For more than three hours last week, the Senate Judiciary Committee held a hearing to get to the bottom of that very question and get to the bottom of Supreme Court ethics rules and whether they should be strengthened. The fact of the matter is this. The Supreme Court does not have a formal binding code of ethics. It's more like guidelines that justices decide on for themselves. The court does not have an internal ethics department where justices can go for ethics guidance. It does not have explicit disclosure rules for travel and has not publicly disclosed the rules for how and why justices recuse themselves from cases where there are conflicts of interest. The last fact that you need to understand is that Chief Justice Roberts refused to testify at this hearing and refused to send any other justice in his place. And all nine Supreme Court justices signed a letter that basically says that they have this under control and that they can police themselves and that Congress needs to stay out of the matter. The reality is the Supreme Court justices are not bound to the same ethical standards as the executive and legislative branches of the U.S. government. 
and that they aren't subject to the same ethical standards as a lower court judges either. So does Congress have the power to impose stricter ethics rules or should the court continue to police itself? And this all comes down to two constitutional ideas, the separation of powers and checks and balances. The fact is public confidence in the Supreme Court is eroding, and like everything else in Congress, this is turning into a political issue. Democrats have been raising this issue for more than a decade, saying that this is about at the least encouraging and at most mandating the court to take up some kind of ethics reform. But Republicans see any attempt to put any kind of ethics on the Supreme Court as an attack. Now, legislation to impose stricter ethics codes for the Supreme Court is moving through Congress, but whether it goes anywhere is up for debate. The United States Surgeon General says that there is a health risk that you may be dealing with right now that is just as deadly as smoking up to 15 cigarettes a day and increases the risk of premature death by almost 30%. And that health risk is loneliness, and Surgeon General Vivek Murthy says that this is a public health epidemic. The 82-page advisory was released this week, and it found that loneliness is surprisingly common. And one in two Americans say that they have experienced some degree of loneliness, and young people experience loneliness at a higher rate than the general population. The COVID-19 pandemic, of course, made things even worse. And between 2003 and 2020, social isolation spiked not only between friends and community, but also within your own household. So how do we fix this issue? The Surgeon General suggests a six-pillar approach, including things like establishing community connection programs, training healthcare workers to recognize the signs of loneliness, and reform the digital environment by establishing tech safety standards and requiring more data transparency. The Surgeon General says that if your device displaces in-person engagement, monopolizes our attention, and reduces the quality of our interactions, and even diminishes our own self-esteem, you should probably rethink the amount of time that you use it. Now getting into rapid news, former President Trump has been found liable in the sexual abuse and defamation of writer E. Jean Carroll. He was subsequently ordered to pay Carroll $5 million, a judgment that the former president is appealing. Daniel Penny, the man who held Jordan Neely in a fatal chokehold on the New York City subway, is being charged with second-degree manslaughter and has surrendered himself to authorities. Now, let's get into good news for this Friday morning show, and I have a very straightforward story, but it's a wonderful one nonetheless, and that is because a woman missing in the Australian outback for eight days ended up surviving and being rescued, and this all started because her and her partner were just driving along. They were headed to some location not disclosed in the article, but they stopped at a rest stop for a moment where her partner ended up recognizing one of his friends and went over to say hello. Well, she decided to go over to a nearby swimming area and take a little bit of a walk and a 
bit of a swim. But the thing about that is that a lot of people may not know is it's very easy to get disoriented even when you're just walking a little ways away in an area like that in the Australian wilderness. It's very easy to get lost even if you're just going a couple hundred yards away and this is exactly what happened. She got completely disoriented and couldn't find her way back to that rest area. Well, she ended up being out in the wilderness for eight days and the detective in charge of her search actually had put together a report saying that they were giving up the search, that she couldn't be found. And 30 minutes after that report was put together, she was rescued. She was found out near the highway after coming upon a ranch and borrowing an ATV and ended up running into the ranch owner who helped her get back. And she had some cuts. She had some bruises. Her feet were cut open a little bit, but overall, she didn't have any major injuries and the fact that she was even able to survive is incredible at its own rate because there's very little fresh water, very little food to eat, and yet she was able to do it. She was able to get through it, and now she's safe, she's healthy, and it's overall just a wonderful story, one of those miraculous ones that almost just makes you think about like a TV show type rescue, you know? It's one of those things that you expect to see in a movie or a TV show, but it's crazy to actually hear a story like this in real life. So incredible that she made it back. One wonderful to hear and just be careful you know be careful out there you guys if you go wandering out in the wilderness but that is the end of this friday morning news episode we'll be back here on sunday morning for the week ahead schedule for the week of may 14th don't miss out on that but until then you guys enjoy the start to your weekend and we'll see you later bye guys 